Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in crime and punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Stanley Kurtz, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's been with us before. He's here today to discuss the general issue of things going on in civic education in America. I would point to one article among several that he's done on the issue from February 16th that was in National Review on, on the site. The title of that article, if you wanted to look it up, is The Partisanship Out of Civics Act. Uh, welcome, Stanley. Mark, thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm going to read the first sentence out of this particular article and let you amplify. Advocates are attempting to smuggle training in leftist activism into K-12 schooling under the guise of civics. Okay, what's going on? Well, you're abs- that's, that's absolutely it, Mark. When conservatives hear the word civics, they get a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Ah, civics, that's what this country needs more of. Let's have uh, all of the younger generation learn about the separation of powers, checks and balances, federalism, the whole nine yards. And so the immediate impulse of conservatives is to be supportive. But something rather remarkable has happened in the last several years, and that is that the left, the very radical left, has co-opted civics, quote-unquote. And they've done that by creating a movement called Action Civics, Action civics is really a kind of a euphemism for Saul Alinsky-style political organizing of students. Basically, action civics means that the teacher gets his students to put on some kind of protest or demonstration 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent of the time in favor of some leftist cause, or, and this is rather remarkable, literally, he takes the whole class to lobby at the state capitol in favor of legislation, inevitably something left-leaning. And so the education left have moved with action civics and made it legally mandated in Massachusetts and in Illinois. And now there's a movement to get it spread to the whole country, especially the red states, because that would tend to turn the red states blue. And there's uh, rolling out big plans, and they're going to ask the Biden administration to give them help and try to force this action civics down the throat of the red states. But the red states won't complain unless they realize what's happening, because they'll hear the word civics and think, ah, 
yes, that's wonderful, let's do it. So what I'm trying to do is sound the alarm on this whole problem of action civics. I've even written model legislation uh, that, would, that would bar the various components of action civics, and I'm trying to alert people to really the horror stories of the direction of civic education in Massachusetts and Illinois, because these are held up, these two states, by this leftist civics movement as models, wonderful models, what they call best practices. When I hear the word best practices, I know that nine times out of ten, I should think of that as worst practices. And so Massachusetts and Illinois supposedly represent best practices in civics. Well, they are horrific practices, and that's the alarm bell I'm trying to sound. What is the, you know, when you think civics, as you said, well, let's study the First Amendment, let's look at the Supreme Court decisions over the decades, let's read some of the Federalist Papers. Is that diminishing, uh, but they're holding on to that conception of civics because that can be the public face of a lot of these programs. Is that how it's working? That's exactly how it's working, Mark. They are holding on to some basics like that. But again, it's to be the public face. If they dangle that in front of conservatives, they figure the conservatives will ratify the bills they're proposing and won't even notice uh, the provisions that mandate this action civics, which essentially requires students to put on some kind of protest or conduct a lobbying expedition or some such thing. Uh, and there are several components of action civics. <coughs> First, there's a requirement in Illinois, for example, that civics teachers must discuss current controversial social and political issues with their students. Now, it's certainly possible to discuss current controversial issues, and high school debate as an extracurricular activity has always involved debating current issues, but I don't think you should mandate that. You can teach civics perfectly well, arguably better, by not talking about current controversies. But first, they want teachers to talk about current controversies. And of course, we know just from the activities of the teachers' unions that teachers overwhelmingly lean left. So by putting in that requirement, you're giving a kind of license for the teachers to bring their politics into the classroom, even if they make a show of talking about both sides, it's virtually certain that their discussion leading will lean to the left. So that's point one. That will prepare the students to move with their protests and lobbying in a leftward direction. Point number two in action civics is that there is a required experience of what's called service learning. Now, service learning in the traditional sense would mean you maybe go to a soup kitchen and uh, help to serve uh, people who are not getting proper nutrition. That's not what service learning means in the, in the context of action civics. In the context of ci action civics, it means interning with a community organization, which nine times out of ten turns out to be a Saul Alinsky-style leftist community organization or a left-leaning nonprofit. And that means basically that these students are giving them free labor and that the students participate in their protests and their lobbying. That's plank number two. Plank number three is that students are required to do a project or a practicum. That's why action civics is sometimes called project-based civics. And the practicum or the project is the demonstration 
or the lobbying expedition, which supposedly is decided on by the students, but really is subtly manipulated by the teacher in the same way that the Saul Alinsky community organizer subtly manipulates his um, uh, organization into the political direction he wants it to go in. So those are the three, there, there are several other aspects, but those are the three core planks of action civics. And that's what the legislation I've drawn up would have states spar, because this isn't really a curricular activity. We don't want to give too much control to curriculum. That should be a local choice. But these are extracurricular activities that are being imported into the curriculum so that they can smuggle political activism into the classroom. I told you this uh, previously when we were talking, that I went to a meeting at Harvard a couple of years ago. I was invited as a panelist. Daniel Allen was running, and it was a day-long civics symposium. And it became clear to me that citizenship was equivalent in these people's minds to activism. I actually said at one point, well, I think a very good citizen is someone who uh, works hard, pays taxes, keeps a neat house, takes care of his property, raises kids to be law-abiding citizens themselves. And that's a good citizen. And they, they thought this was uh, just, just uh, fatally irresponsible. This is not what you... And so I, I, I saw right there that you know, even the fundamentals of what, is, what a citizen is, what a civic sphere is, it, it's so tendentious on, on their part. Now, the question I would ask is, given the way in which in the last 50 years the left has taken total control over lower and higher education, I mean, it was, it was always liberal, but there was still a liberal ethos in 1970, even, of don't start proselytizing. None of us are really comfortable with that. You know, there, were, there was free speech. Let people make up their minds. Um, having seen that, are Republicans properly suspicious of these efforts? I mean, are, are they looking at this with, with any kind of a skeptical eye? Well, Mark... The left is always a few steps ahead of conservatives, and that's why I'm trying to wake conservatives up to what's happening. As, as you know, and now I think as most conservatives also know, at the college level, professors have thrown out the old ethos of nonpartisanship, and they literally try to indoctrinate students. And everyone knows that in K-12, something like that goes on on a person-by-person basis. But Action Civics really is an attempt to systematically um, indoctrinate students politically, moving them toward the left. And it hasn't yet penetrated to conservatives that this is what's happening. As I say, it's focused on Illinois and Massachusetts. It's going on on a sort of catch-as-catch-can basis in other states. But what's going to happen now, now that this movement has matured in a couple of states, and now that Biden has come in with the capability of giving the considerable uh, financial carrots 
and regulatory sticks that the federal government can deliver on matters pertaining to education. Now it really threatens to go national, and there's a concerted effort led in part by Danielle Allen, who you just mentioned, is she's going public this week with uh, a major effort to push action civics into every uh, state and school district in the country. And I know they're going to try to get help from the Biden administration. There's already, I'm sorry to say, a bipartisan bill that would fund this movement to the tune of $1 billion. And I think one of the reasons it's gotten bipartisan buy-in is because the conservative sponsors and supporters have no idea what they're really supporting. So this is, again, something I'm trying to ring the alarm on. Conservatives have to know that there's a national movement to systematically indoctrinate students by pushing them from classrooms into literal political activism. All right, Stanley, what do you think can be done? First of all, I have this model bill that state legislatures could pass, but even short of that, I think it's crucial that states be aware of this problem because at this point, Republicans control most of the state legislatures in the country. And if they only understand what the real agenda by the, behind the new civics is, they will vote down this attempt to impose new state standards in civics on all of the states. But if they remain ignorant and naive, if they hear the word civics and get a warm, fuzzy feeling and see some uh, grant money dangled by the Biden administration and don't hear from their constituents and don't read the conservative uh, media where this kind of information is going out, then they're going to foolishly rubber stamp these proposals, and that would be a disaster. But it's not that hard to stop. All you have to do is vote no when these uh, uh, leftist civics bills come up for approval. But there's going to be this tremendous pressure, not only because everyone likes the sound of civics, but because conservatives are correctly and understandably dismayed by things like the 1619 Project. They understand that the general direction of the country has been made into a problem because of bad education. So it wouldn't be wrong to pass a good civics bill, but if you do that, you should have provisions in there that are drawn from the model bill I've proposed, which would bar these bad features. How does your bill bar those features? Well, it literally says, just remember those three, those three features that I mentioned, it says no teacher shall be required to discuss current controversies in class. It says that if he, if he does choose to do that, he should explore multiple perspectives on it and not just one point of view. It says that no one should get any kind of course credit for these internships with groups outside of school that are engaged in advocacy and lobbying. It says that you shouldn't re uh, no school shall require a project that involves outside-of-class protest and advocacy and lobbying. And by the way, there's another feature we haven't discussed yet. This, uh, there are several other features, but one of the key ones is this model bill draws on President Trump's order barring critical race theory training of federal employees. And what this bill says is you can't do critical race theory training for teachers or for education administrators or employees. 
because there, uh, for example, in Illinois, some really extreme, I call them ultra-woke, teaching standards have just been approved by the state, which would make it easy to pressure teachers who, let's say, um, assign too many books, too many quote-unquote books by uh, dead white males like Homer <laughs> or Mark Twain. And uh, they, uh, it would, might be easy to force them into uh, training sessions to uh, remove their so-called white fragility and such. And this would bar that sort of training. This model bill would allow a state to pass a good civics bill without playing into these bad features that the left is trying to sneak into the civics bills. I, I worry also about another element that you, you indicate in your discussion in this, not just the, the politicians and the teachers, but it seems like there is surrounding the education system uh, a, a bunch of organizations that provide curriculum materials, uh, training materials, provide guest speakers and consultants, and they are heavily left-wing groups, and they've got a lot of money. And I'm, I'm referring to something called IllinoisCivics.org uh, that you actually pointed me to. And that, that there's, there's like, it's, it's a whole ecosystem of this kind of insertion of, of left-wing material. There's a pipeline. There, there, there is a network for people who need materials. Help, we've got them for you right here. And when you dig into these groups, as you said, you really see some, some pretty bizarre stuff going on. Boy, you are absolutely right, Mark. And this is another dimension of why it is actually very difficult to pass a good civics bill because in most states, and many people don't understand this, people don't understand that even in red states, you take the most deep-dyed red state, Usually, the bureaucrats who are in the board of education of that state are pretty left-leaning. Sometimes the members of the board of education themselves are also left-leaning. So someone proposed a model bill, and I wrote a piece criticizing this proposal, and, and the model was withdrawn. But the, the proposal was that state boards of education choose curricular materials in civics, and make them mandatory. And I said, if you do this, if some red state passes a law saying that, they're actually giving carte blanche to the leftist bureaucrats in the State Board of Education to go to these leftist civics materials, choose them, and make them mandatory. So the conservative Republicans in the legislature will think, oh boy, we are fantastic. We just passed a wonderful civics bill. And instead of uh, blocking the, the ideas behind the 1619 Project and all of the woke stuff that they think they just did, they'll actually be promoting it instead. Are the teachers' unions in on this somewhere? Absolutely. The teachers' unions, for the most part, I think people are beginning to become aware of this just because of the, the, all the disputes having to do with COVID, but the teachers' unions, as a rule, are very left-leaning. They're, they're, of course, core supporters of the Democratic uh, Party, and in Illinois, where this battle just came up over the very, very ultra-woke teaching standards, uh, 
although the conservatives of Illinois, who had been very quiescent because they're so outnumbered there, but they were outraged by this proposal and fought hard against it. But the teachers' unions and the official teacher associations pushed back. The teachers are on the left, and they want all of this stuff, uh, which is another reason why you don't want to have a uh, law inviting your teachers to discuss current political controversies in class, not, not only inviting them, but ordering them to do so, because that is a gift that, in effect, allows them to import their leftist politics into the classroom. Now, do you worry that Republicans won't want to get into this kind of stuff because it might raise issues of race? Uh, a lot of these materials are about LGBT advocacy, and they still, even though Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ movement has become very aggressive, they still just would prefer to talk about taxes. I think there's a lot of truth to that, Mark, but, but I would say that what happened just now in Illinois is a fairly heartening example. I would say there was greater willingness to push back against critical race theory than to push back against the mandates on LGBTQ. But having said that, these new ultra-woke teaching standards in Illinois set off a firestorm of conservative opposition from conservatives in a state where usually they've just sort of given up. There really was tremendous pushback, and there were some moderate liberals, believe it or not, who when they looked at these extreme standards said, actually, this is not a good idea. Now, the conservatives lost, it's true, because they are so outvoted in Illinois, but, but I think the battle itself set a message and a marker for the rest of the country. Uh, I think the other side, the left, the education left is overstepping the bounds. It's waking people up. I mean, I went through a couple decades as someone like yourself who's very interested in education, who's conservative-leaning, who was alarmed by the trends in the academy. And for a couple of decades, Conservatives just wouldn't pay attention. They didn't believe it was all that serious a problem. They thought it was confined to the college campus. It would never seep out into society. As soon as people became taxpayers, they would sort of smarten up. Well, none of that happened. And all the things that people like you and I were afraid of actually did come true. So the the good news is that now uh, a lot of grassroots conservatives automatically know this. You don't even have to sit there and tell them you you really need to worry about education. People look out at all of the craziness out there, and they uh, they spontaneously say, "Geez, I guess I guess the school's messed up." And and so I think um, yes, there is reluctance to push back, but because of that reluctance, the left is now overreaching so much that I actually think there is a chance that we can stop this now uh, because they have they've shown their cards. They're no longer trying to be at least quite as secret as they used to be, and the battle is on. What needs to happen for your legislation to succeed? People have to learn about it. A legislator has to sponsor it, and, uh, and then, it has to, then it has to pass. Would you, would you tell people to uh, download your report and send it to your state legislator? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I would I go look up the Partisanship Out of Civics Act, and you'll see a National Review uh, online. You'll see that I have an article explaining it, 
at the National Association of Scholars website. The text of the actual bill is there. And certainly, if you think it's a good idea, you could send it in to your state legislator and or a group that has access, to, good access to your legislator and suggest that they do something along those lines. And I think there is going to be more opportunity for this now, precisely because the left, led by people like Danielle Allen, they're about to make a big play to push civics across the country, and they're going to get pushback from folks like you and I. And uh, and I think this the public profile of this battle is, is about to go sky high, in my view. Do, do they want to lower the voting age to 16? Oh, ab- <laughs> absolutely. If you look into the material that is pushed by these action civics people, that is clearly on their agenda. Now, most people, if you say, well, I think the voting age should be lowered to 16, they'll say, well, wait a minute, the people who are kids who are 16, I mean, they, they hardly know anything. I mean, it's hard enough to get adults to know anything about, uh, you know, how the country runs or to follow the new, but, news. But the, the 16-year-olds, they don't know that much. They're not mature. They haven't had a lot of life experience. And if you say this to the action civics people, what their answer is is, oh, we can fix all that. All we need to do is teach them uh, this mandatory civics, including the action civics. So what their vision is, that they will teach students how to protest and then send them out to protest to lower the voting age to 16. And if you look at uh, H.R. 1, House Resolution 1, the first bill introduced by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the current session, it has a provision to um, pre-register voters even before they reach voting age, which is a way of subtly trying to encourage a lowering of the voting age. And then there's a provision to try to get states to adopt action civics. And it's all part of this plan to connect the spread of action civics to protests to lower the voting age to 16. See, when I hear stories like this, I say to myself, now when Republicans had Congress and the White House, Senate and, and, and the House, and, and under, under W, uh, why didn't they take some action? Like, why, why didn't they show some daring? And I mean, well, my favorite thing would be let's raise the voting age to, to twenty-five. No, no, twenty-nine, Stanley, twenty-nine. <laughs> no, no, well, women well, can I'll... vote at age twenty-five, yeah. but, but men take longer to mature. Twenty-nine for men. What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, W was not a culture warrior. And in fact, it was almost the opposite in that George W. Bush, just like Jeb Bush, the Bushes in general, their education strategy was to be bipartisan. They formed up all of these partnerships. In fact, if you look at these people who were pushing the action civics, they are part, they give a veneer of bipartisanship to what they're doing because they're partnered with the remainders of the sort of Jeb Bush education apparatus. And uh, the W. Bush administration didn't really want to fight the culture war. I mean, there was a time when uh, Bill Bennett and Lynn Cheney, under Ronald Reagan, and then the early years of H.W. Bush, were fighting these culture war battles, and they were big. And that was when conservatives really did get it. And then all of a sudden we had this uh, quiescence, and the w-, w. Bush had a chance 
to do something about it. I know something about what was going on on the inside at that time, and I'm telling you, they consciously and deliberately rejected the idea of bringing back the days of Bill Bennett and Lynn Cheney. They went in the opposite direction of being collaborative and bipartisan, and that's a big reason, I think, why we lost the culture. Hmm. That's uh, that's that's quite an indictment, Sam. But I think you're I think you're absolutely right, and we can see that even in Donald Trump's Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos, who was all about just logistics. Curri- did curriculum mean anything to her? She was about charters and vouchers and breaking up uh, union power, which all is a good thing. But when it came to things such as the teaching of civics. She didn't, didn't, I don't think she had anything to offer. And she was part of the Bush world, correct? Oh, you're absolutely right, Mark. Of course, she's very good on school choice. But when it comes to these curriculum issues, she is part of that Bush world. And in fact, her Department of Education helped give a grant to this predominantly leftist action civics group under the thought that this is part of that sort of Jeb Bush-style bipartisan education strategy. It was a disastrous mistake. And um, I think the... The Trump White House, you know, over time became more aware of the fact that uh, the Department of Education was not not quite on the same wavelength as the White House, but it took too long to come to that realization. Who are the best people on, on this? I mean, are Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, do they, do, do they sort, sort of the more populist-oriented, do they understand? Can we reach them? I think we can reach them, but I don't think, as of now, virtually, probably very few politicos at the highest level even understand or have ever heard of something like action civics. This is really new. I myself have only known about it for, you know, uh, months, and I've been reading, I've probably been writing more about it than anyone else, and it's relatively new discovery to me. And I don't know how much of it has filtered to people. I think as soon as if Ted Cruz and his people and Josh Hawley and his people and Tom Cotton and his people, if they read about all this, I think they'll get it and they'll be on board very, very, very likely. But it just it needs to penetrate the entire conservative movement because the other side has been on this for years and we we don't even realize it. So this is really hot off the presses in terms of the conservative movement. Uh, Stanley Kurtz, we're going to check in with you again in four months uh, to give us an update. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.